Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome to Thread, Season 3, Episode 9. Thread is God's Word, tying together all the pieces of your life as a person in ministry. It's the place for believers who want to maximize the impact of their lives on others. And in Season 3, we're moving through the book of 2 Corinthians. Today's thread covers chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And we're on the topic of not losing your courage under the relentless spiritual attack that you and I undergo as we try to live our life for God and to minister to others during a time of great spiritual darkness around the world. You know, it's hard enough to keep yourself straight these days with the flood of pornographic images on TV and you know, it's like everywhere you turn, you've got that. And now we're also living in a relativistic generation that calls evil good and good evil. And the worst thing you can be is someone with convictions. And pretty much any other wicked thing you'd want to engage in is, you know, considered your liberty. Um, so it's not an easy time to be ministering and standing for the Lord. But also it's, it's a wonderful time to be ministering and standing for the Lord because you stand out, which, uh, you know, puts you under additional pressure, but it also gives you additional prominence. And so you're able now, you know, strike that match in a very dark place and the light is powerful. So uh, I think there's a lot for us of encouragement that we're going to get from God's word today. This is uh, the, I have probably preached from 2 Corinthians 4, more than any other chapter in the Bible. I've gone all over the world talking about uh, 2 Corinthians 3.16 and 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Um, just the, the power of the gospel in the darkness. And I just love this chapter. So let's dive into it. I think you're going to get a lot out of it today. It opens with the word, therefore. And the old rule of Bible study and Thread is a verse-by-verse Bible study, is to find out what the therefore is there for. And in this case, it points, as it usually does, right back up to the previous paragraph, and it's referring to the wonderful process of transformation that we ourselves have, have uh, experienced. It goes all the way back to um, you know, verse 18 there, just up above it, that we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And if I could just recap four big points that he's made in that verse and the the, uh, paragraph before it, it would be this. Number one, we uh, we have had the beautiful experience of having our blinded eyes opened. We were spiritually blind. Our mind was closed to truth. We could not think properly or reason morally properly because we were were blinded. And we're going to talk about that again in this passage. But the Lord has has unveiled our eyes. He's taken the blindfold off of us and now we can clearly see. That's the first thing. Secondly, by saying we're unveiled, uh, going back to the, the previous lesson of Thread, he means also that there's no intermediary, there's no buffer between me 
and my father, not even good things, not even the buffer of my church or my pastor or Christian music, because we're transformed not by church, but by a direct encounter between ourselves and God. And this was horribly expensive for Jesus to establish, but he purchased this access, direct access for us by his blood. So we need to cherish it and never allow ourselves to accept just a veiled relationship with God, you know, mediated through another party, even a wonderful one. Uh, so we have unveiled access, direct access to the Father, and that is really where the life change takes place. The third thing he's pointed to, he says, we are now beholding. We're beholding. That, that word means we are staring. We are gazing, you know, in like starstruck wonder. We are studying the details of the glory and the perfection of the Lord, we we should be we should be caught like that. Where we're we're just staring at Him. We're so amazed at Him. We want to understand His personality. We want to know what He loves, what He hates. Where you know I've been around mature believers, and I I've had this I've heard them say this so many times, and it's is there's just a moment where you'll talk about something like I don't know a totally disreputable person being turned around and suddenly God is using them powerfully. And somebody will say, isn't that just like the Lord? And it's like, we know the Lord. We know his personality. We've all experienced this. We've walked out of an old life. We've been transformed. And that's the fourth thing. We are being transformed by a process of living with him, time alone with God. And that process is moving us from a, place of glory to a deeper place of glory as we get closer and closer to him. And, you know, I'm, um, I'm in my fifties and I really, I really want this season of my life to be a season where I get, I just get so close to the Lord that as much as I love this world, that the things of this world have less and less appeal to me. And I hope if God lets me live to be really old, I hope that toward the, those last, you know, decades of my life, maybe the last few years of my life, I just can't wait to go home. I long to see him face to face because I, I have known believers like this and they, they're just beautiful. You know, it's like this world just fades out for them the older they get, the less this world holds them and the more purified their soul is because, as Paul said, we are becoming like him. He's absorbing us, you know. Uh, and church is supposed to be gathering the people who live with God like this, not a substitute for God's direct presence, you know, not trying to provide the once a week presence of God to us, but a gathering for people who live their lives like this. Okay, so now we've caught up to why we're in the therefore. Therefore, because we've experienced this change that Jesus brought us, since we have this, we have been given this ministry. You know, um, 
if you live like this, you stay close to God, you live in his presence, I can already tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be called into the ministry. And some people are scared to get near God because of this because they don't understand, one, the ministry, and two, how wonderful it is. But if you live in the presence of God, you love being near God, you want to be in his presence all the time, then he will call you into the ministry. Now, not necessarily full-time church work, but if you draw near to God, he is going to call you to join him in the field of souls because that's where he works every day. Not only has the Lord forgiven us, but he's given us the honor of actually joining him in his ministry. You've been called. And we're all called to a participation in his big plan to save the world. So, therefore, since we've been given this ministry, as we've received mercy, we do not lose heart. Since we've been called in, we do not lose heart. Losing heart. Let's talk about that for a minute. Because that's sort of the key to this passage. Losing heart is... It's when you cross that line mentally where you crack, where you break, and you drop your end of the load. I don't know if you've ever, maybe guys can relate to this, uh, if you've ever been working with a friend to carry some really big, heavy piece of furniture up a staircase of a narrow house, and you know, you're you're holding, you're straining, and you have to convince yourself that you can hold on a little bit longer. Because if you let go of this thing, your friend has all the weight. You know, it's all on you. If you, it's all on him. If you drop it, and so you know, you, you're trying to keep your mind. You don't want to lose heart. Uh, it's the high road. You know, when you live with righteousness in a perverted world, and you try to keep a good attitude. And you put other people before yourself. All this takes a tremendous amount of effort. And then there's the actual work of the ministry to do. Um, you know, and right now I'm in the middle of the most, really, the most challenging period of my life as far as trying to, the thing I feel like I'm supposed to do for the Lord. You know, I'm in a, um, I'm in ministry in a non-majority uh, Christian country. Uh, I'm a foreigner. I have very tight uh, visa restrictions. I never get more than a year. But we're trying to build something long, long lasting. And it just, you know, you've got the, the spiritual dynamics of this situation. And it just like, man, it just keeps coming. And I, you know, I've gotten to a place because right now we're in an expansion mode. And we've got this big piece of property, about five acres, and we're building big center. We've got seven buildings going up. It's going to be uh, a very unique place for creativity in ministry and a place where people can come and gain clarity for their life and for where, where God wants them, a place where people can stir you know, the deepest level of, of creativity that they've ever known and can learn some new skills, and I'm I'm just so excited about it. But I have to tell you, it is really, really scary. And there's times that I have to just, it's, I don't know if it's like walking on a high wire, or in my case, which happens a lot here too, is I'm in the mountains a lot, and you'll be on these mountain roads that 
it has no shoulder and there's no guardrail. And if you go just off the concrete, you're going to fall hundreds of feet. And sure enough, here it comes wheeling around the curve, somebody halfway in your lane. And I've just got to not even look at that person because all I can do is stay with my tire barely on the edge of that concrete. And if I think about anything else, I'm going to fail and something really, really bad can happen. So I, I can't lose heart. I've got to stay focused. I've got to just concentrate on the thing in front of me. And maybe that's you right now. You know, maybe you're facing a situation and let me just tell you, that's how, that's what works for me is you just got to keep your mind. You know, I got to keep my mind on the wheel on that edge of concrete, feel that corner of it. And that guy will do whatever that guy's going to do. I can't control his behavior. Uh, and we get by with just, I mean, I've had my mirror click things before, uh, with just precipice off to the side, but I got through it. But the only reason I got through it is I didn't freak out and I didn't jerk on the wheel and I didn't jump out of the truck, you know, don't lose heart because if, um, it's just a mind game, but if you lose heart, Paul talks about three things that you're going to allow in your life that have no place in the life of a believer, much less the life of somebody in the ministry. Three things from verse 2 that will work to destroy your soul, and they will destroy your ministry, and they'll do it from the inside. It's one thing to face you know, the assault of an Antichrist age on the outside. As hard as those things are, let me tell you, those are the easier things to deal with. It's the inside stuff that is, that's the live or die situation. Paul says, number one, hidden things. If you lose heart, you're going to allow hidden things in your life. Dark, secret things that you still do. Although you know they're contrary to the ways of Jesus and you know how wrong these things are. They're your secret. And you don't tell anyone you're doing them. And a secret is a very heavy thing because you keep it in the darkness. And because it's in the darkness, that's, you know, the devil does his work in dark places. And because you're not bringing it into the light, he gets extra power over us. And this failure uh, fills us with shame and shame weakens us until we lose heart and we break down. And, you know, the most common of these hidden things are sexual failures. Pornography is a modern scourge, even within the church. Um, and secondly, I think for those in marriage, behavior in marriage that is so far beneath the way any Christian should treat another person. You know, some of the things people do in their marriage, it's just like it's their absolute lowest self. I think your bottom, your bottom level of acceptable marriage behavior should be I have to treat my wife with the same level of courtesy that I treat a total stranger. And only after I achieve that, now let's go toward friendship. And after I do, I'm, I'm working toward love. You know, eventually I'll get to love. But if you know, it's just like a, a dad. A dad is more than a provider, but he can't be less than a provider. And so I can be more than, you know, just courteous, but I can't be less than courteous. So whatever these things are, they're secrets. And because we keep them secret, they gain a great hold over us and they begin to rot us from the inside. And Paul says, if you lose heart, 
you're going to engage in hidden things. And when the hidden thing does its work and breaks you down ethically, you're going to move to another level, and that is you're going to walk in craftiness. And this means that a person learns the skills of insincerity. They begin to practice manipulation. Lose heart, and you will abandon the virginal dream of the ministry. You know, the ministry has this high, precious, perfect thing that you cry, thinking that maybe God wants you to be part of it. You know, I can just remember the emotional mountaintop of wrestling with if I would accept a lifetime of service in the ministry and knowing that God was calling me into something, you know, but it was such a beautiful thought also. So, but if you lose heart, you're going to abandon that pure virginal love for the ministry and you're going to turn it into something totally different because the ministry in the hands of a, a corrupt person is an opportunity to get money and position and perks from other people. You become a professional religionist. And the word craftiness means being willing and being ready to do anything to get your advantage. And, you know, you just can descend. Once you're in hidden things, the next step is craftiness. You know, now it's hiding money and all these intrigues uh, that you can get into in the ministry. And third thing, well, maybe the lowest level, uh, handling the word of God deceitfully, that even even holy things are not holy to you, that you don't treat you know a funeral as anything sacred. You don't treat a wedding as anything sacred. You know, I see these uh, YouTube videos of, of people jumping into a baptism pool and doing a cannonball and, you know, the pastor having to deal with that and how everybody's laughing. And I would just stop right there and I would tell that person to get out of the water and don't come back for a while. You know, there has to be a sacredness to what we do. Same thing with weddings. To yuck up a wedding when it's, you know, it's the most serious covenant you're going to make with another human and to let the whole thing be this big joke and a, a staged thing. Uh, I heard one pastor, he said, I just feel like a court jester sometimes, you know, in, in the role I'm called to play in the in a wedding. The lack of sobriety about things that are serious. And Paul says, well, it's where you get to. Once you've lost heart, you start even handling the word of God deceitfully. And in Greek, we've run on to that word already. You know, deceitful means... Uh, you, you're a bartender and you add water to the wine, basically. You adulterate it. You don't give it straight the way it is. You change it. You modify it. You use it as a thing, you know, like a topical sermon. So easy. You can say anything you want because you're not stuck with the text the way it was. And so you can pull together, you know, five verses from anywhere. And topical sermons, I get it and I've used them, but I also know how how easy it would be if you never bind yourself to be an expository preacher where you have to go to a passage and dig out of it. Uh, you can easily, you know, m move the passage to meet your own need. Use half a verse, you know, because it's not saying exactly what you want to say. Adulterating God's word. Peddling God's word. 
peddling God's word as a product, reducing the word of God to a cheap thing, uh, motivational speeches, deceitful use of the very platform he's given you in the lives of other people as a means to uh, move yourself forward. And you would even use holy things as, as bait or deceit or to strengthen you, you know, don't touch God's anointed, uh, using God's word in a way that's, it's deceptive. It's not what it was for. It's for your own purpose that you're using that scripture. Okay. So those are three things that can happen to any of us. And, and, the only way to be safe, you know, I came home one day from seminary because I had this revelation at the hands of a professor of what he said. I came home and I said to Sherry, I realized today that I could commit adultery against you. And she was horrified. No, you couldn't. You have to say you would never do that. I said, no, but my professor said, as long as I don't know that I could do it, I'm dangerous. So I have to know I'm no better than the other people that have done it. So I have to know this can happen to me, and then I can be safer. So, you know, don't lose heart. Those three things can happen to you. So keep your focus. Don't break down. Now, if you, if you don't lose heart, you're going to keep your heart. You're going to keep your courage. You're going to keep your confidence. And the results are, of course, the very opposite. And here Paul goes into the, the way we're supposed to be. You know, if we keep our focus and keep our mind he says, first of all, we'll be used by God to manifest truth. We will be God's servant to go into the life of a person and to open up their mind and to shine a light on truth and to reveal what was unknown to them, to show them the truth uh, through what we say and through how we live. This is the opposite of dark, hidden things. This is a light thing. So we're going to throw on the floodlight and we're going to point to the truth. And second thing, Paul said, we're going to, if we keep the faith, you're going to appeal to the, the deepest and best dimensions of people. We're going to appeal to their conscience instead of appealing to, you know, market driven. I actually think there's a real danger about church growth in trying to use market driven factors to entice a person to come to church and then to accept Jesus. You know, there's not a trial period. It's not except Jesus, you'll get richer. Except Jesus, you'll get the pretty girl. Except Jesus. These are, this is a perversion of even the call of the gospel. We need to appeal to the best side of people. And Paul says, if you keep your heart and you keep that virginal dream of what ministry is, you will be engaged in the deepest part of the best part of people, you know their conscience, and you'll get to live in the sight of God. You get to live with the closeness of his presence, that you're right there in the field of souls. You're working with the Father. You're engaging people. He turns to you. you know, He's looking at you and smiling at you as you're doing his work with him, and he's letting you manifest the truth. And Paul says, actually, in verse 1, that our being invited by God to participate in the ministry it's actually part of God's mercy on us. It's, and the word mercy means the compassionate removal of ministry. And that God would take me out of my darkness, cleanse me up, transform my life, and then say, hey, want to work with me? Paul said it's a mercy. We receive mercy when we receive the ministry. Because we are working every day with the Father 
in the field of souls. Okay, so now we're in the field of souls. We've kept the faith. We're working with God. And now we need to understand that the ministry is not a peacetime endeavor. It is a wartime endeavor. There is a, the ministry is spiritual war against darkness. And it is so important in the lives of other people. It is what changes the life of others. It is the ministry of the gospel. Paul says in verse 3 that spiritual blindness covers not the eyes, but the minds of those who do not believe. Spiritual darkness covers their mind. And Paul says, whether they know it or not, they are already perishing. They are being destroyed day by day by day. Their doom is sealed. And a little bit more of them dies every day. And this, this veiling, this blindfold that they've got, is not something that they did. This, you know, Paul doesn't say people are so stubborn, they, they close their eyes to the gospel. That's not what he says. He says their eyes were blinded by someone else. They have been blindfolded so they can't see. They can't see the truth. Who did it? Verse 4. The God of this age. This, uh, the word age in Greek is uh, aeon, the eon. The God of this age and the word uh, that word age, it's not so much about time. It's about the voices. Have you ever seen on a blog, the, uh, the blog um, topic cloud? You know, so the, the words that are being used in the blog the most, there's this big like ball, sort of like a planet. And then in that, some words are bigger than other words because the blogger is talking about this word more. And so that word is bigger in size. Well, that's what. An eon is. It's the floating mass that covers the planet. It's the floating mass of thinking and opinions and voices that are creating driving desires. And it is enveloping the entire generation that's alive like a cloud. So, you know, even like that, the, the online cloud. So he's saying the God of the cloud, the God of this the God of the voices that is surrounding lost people. He has blinded their mind with these thoughts and opinions and, and desires. He's blinded their minds because they are unbelievers. At this point, they are unbelievers. And blinding them inhibits their ability to think. And in, it inhibits their ability to reason clearly. He's afraid of something. He's afraid, look in verse 4, he's afraid that the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And Paul said the gospel exactly does that. We manifest truth. We put such a spotlight on their eyes that even through that blindfold, they can feel the light. They can see the truth. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So, you know, it's just, it's powerful. You are, it's a life and death endeavor to be called by God as a mercy to join him in the field of souls. But this 
in order to do this properly, we've got to have the right attitude. Our mindset's got to be correct. Go down to verse 5. Paul says, when we preach, we do not preach ourselves. Man, I wish I had a half an hour just to talk about that. You know, the essential ingredient in, in the ministry, in my, the essential ingredient in my ability to act as a servant of God, to bring revelation into the, the mind of a spiritually blind person, the essential ingredient is the absence of self-promotion, the absence of self-interest in this activity and in this messaging that my relationship toward them has to be a pure relationship. I can't want anything from them. I can't need anything at a human level from them. It has to be a one-way relationship. I am there on God's behalf to bring ministry to them. We do not preach ourselves. We do not talk of ourselves as the hero. And even, you know, thank God for a good old-time preaching because I've been... I grew up under it and God bless that style of delivery in many ways because it's, you know, it's powerful, it's passionate. But if you're not careful, you get good at that and you can be talking about Jesus, but you're the one hopping around the stage and, you know, swinging your coat and yelling and shouting. There's a whole lot of attention on the messenger that doesn't need to be there. You don't see uh, ambassadors behaving like that. They're not representing themselves. They're not trying to build you know, a market uh, brand for their own ministry. That's what's messing us up. You see, Paul says, we don't do that. We don't preach ourselves. What do you preach, Paul? Well, he says, we preach Messiah Jesus as Lord. He is Lord over everything. And man, our next lesson is going to just keep hammering on this, how important it is to lower your profile and your opinion of yourself so that you can truly be used powerfully to preach not yourself, but to preach Messiah Jesus as the Lord. Lord over everything. Get in their face and tell them he is Lord over everything they are facing. Well, what do you say about yourself, Paul says? Well, we do preach ourselves. We preach ourselves as your servants. Now, There's a big difference in saying, I preach myself as your servant versus God's servant. You know, I can humble brag and and preach on myself as a servant of God. But to say I am your servant. Oh, that's a whole nother thing. That is a that's a totally different posture of humility. And it takes a lot of self-discipline to be willing to to not, to not be scared. Actually, it takes faith to not be scared of being abused when you put it in your heart that I am here to serve their interest. As Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, I am here to wash your feet and to declare that Jesus is Lord. Uh, it's just a powerful posture. And Paul says, when you do that, The light flashes. Verse 6, it is the God who commanded light, who has shown that light into our own hearts. And now through our lives, he gives out the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, the ministry. It is so powerful. 
Um, if you don't mind, although I'm just a few minutes longer than I like to be, I want to read you three paragraphs from a poem called I Stand at the Door by Sam Shoemaker. And he is the, uh, the founder of uh, one of the spiritual leaders who helped draft the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous back in the 1920s. Here it is. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which people walk when they find God. There's no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside. And they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is and all that so many ever find is only a wall where the door ought to be. And so they creep along the wall like blind people with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door. And yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for people to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing any person can do is to take hold of one of those blind groping hands and put it on the latch. The latch that only clicks and opens to the person's own touch. People die outside that door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. Die for want of what is within their grasp. And they live on the other side of it. Live because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it. And open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. I just think that's so beautiful. Uh, You know, you can go too deep into this church world. And you can get yourself so comfortable with your church, everything, go on a Christian cruise and go to Christian Day at Six Flags and play on the Christian softball team. And the whole point of all of this is the ministry. God wants you in the ministry. He's calling you in the ministry. So I just want to encourage you today. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't lose touch with this moment when you obtain mercy. And let that fuel you to stand by the door and help others find the door also. What a privilege to be allowed to join the Lord in this, the most important work in the world. Well, that's all for now. If you're enjoying Thread, please share the podcast with your friends. You can just click the button, the share buttons on the player that are on your screen. And don't forget, we've got lots of free resources for you. So check us out, medialightonline.com. This week, expect God to use you because you are the light of the world.